What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio, and today we are going to be talking about the book Fairycraft, Following the Path of Fairy Witchcraft by Morgan Daimler? Daimler. Daimler. So this book came out in 2015. Would you like a little bit of a bio? Yes, please. Okay. So she's been a witch since the early 90s, and she follows an Irish fairy tradition blended with neo-pagan witchcraft. So that's her path. Um, she's got tons of books, appeared in many pagan magazines as well, and she teaches classes on Irish myth and magical practices. So pretty much an authority on this stuff. You're nodding at me. Now that I know she teaches classes, I'm going to go find one and see if I can, like, if it's, like, online, I'll take it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm ready. See, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic sometimes I'm when we not... talk about books. So that's why I'm like, okay, she's going to take a class because she hates her or she loves this. Okay. And our listeners that follow us on Instagram know that I'm not being sarcastic because I posted a picture and it's just my notes with like little hand-drawn hard eyes next to all my notes. So <laughs> I'm ready to dive into this book. Okay, so you know we have to start with a quote because that's my thing. And um, I like the, this quote from the intro. Fairy witchcraft is a way to bring the old fairy faith ways and beliefs forward into a modern neo-pagan context. And I just, I like that. Like the idea of picking up there. Um to kind of bring it forth, you know, to what we want to do. Yeah, it's very much um, fairy revivalism. Yeah. And I, I, we all know that I'm here for a good revival. So it was definitely, even just from the jump, I was like, this is very interesting and I would like to know more. So. I have notes in the book and I also have notes in a notebook. So I'm like going in between. I actually had a couple of notes in the book as well, but I wanted to talk a little bit about her path, like her blend Yes. I feel like we're talking about like a Starbucks order. So what are we getting when we get a uh, Morgan? We get Irish fairy faith, neo-pagan witchcraft, druid, Celtic reconstruction, Germanic folk, and mm-hmm. heathenry. That's a tall order. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's like a frappuccino. That is a frappuccino, yeah. which it's not to change the subject, but do you ever go on the, uh, you ever Google like um, secret menu Starbucks? All the time. I'm obsessed with trying some of these, but that's a different story. But yeah. The only reason I don't do it is because I f- only go through the drive-thru at Starbucks and I feel like an asshole if I'm like at the drive-thru being like, yeah, can I get this frappuccino but without this and add this and this and this and I need it like a grande size and a venti cup. Like I just feel like a jerk. If I was going to walk into a Starbucks, absolutely. I can wait online for 15 minutes. No big deal. But don't order special menu items in the drive-thru because everyone behind you will hate you. <laughs> Um, I don't understand why you don't have the app. I do, but you still have to get out of the car. Oh, you can't go to the drive-thru and say, I'm pick up here for Gemini. Oh, you know. You You never tried. I've never tried. I never even put those two thoughts together. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. So anyway, Morgan... Yeah, let's go to this now. Um, there's a quote also at the beginning that she uh-huh. meant. It's like the first paragraph right at the end. Above all, it is a religion of risk, not something safe and secure to curl up in like a warm blanket, but rather a tough pair of boots that will take you off the beaten path and into the trackless woods. And I love that that's sort of like the first thing you get from this, because as we dive into this, she's going to explain in a lot of detail why this is not 
why there is a lot of risk involved. And I like that she's being really upfront with everybody from the jump that like every aspect of this Frappuccino that she has made comes with danger. The fairy part, dangerous. The heathen part, dangerous. The revivalist, dangerous. Like all of these things have aspects that can be worrisome. So make sure you're aware of that when you start. I think that more authors should do that. Yes. Because I understand why she does it with the fairy path. And I think for a while we were hesitant to maybe um, talk about this. We don't want to give people the impression that this is something you can just jump into. Yeah. But, you know, I think when it comes to any path that you take, there's danger associated with everything. Because at some point you break through the first layer. Yes. And if you're going to take your path further, there's going to be danger involved. So I think the fact that she says it is is just refreshing and it's something that we need to see more of when people start talking about different paths absolutely i think she does a really good job also of giving us the historical context um Mm. it's it's very funny because i remember talking about the witch is familiar and being like he just talks about christianity he just talks about christianity but i think morgan does this really good job of getting like quotes and like straight up citing things which everybody knows I love yes citing these these references that are older traditions that talk about how christianity came and changed the practice that talked about even farther than that so it's a it's a really good historical section and i also love that she separates the celtic paths a little bit because i think that a yeah. lot of times irish scottish welsh all of that kind of gets mushed together And they can be very different. You know, Irish practice and and Scottish practice are going to be similar, but they're not going to be the same as somebody from like the Isle of Man. And so it's important, especially in a fairy practice, to be like, hey, here's some context, just so you know, there's different branches to this that you might want to be going down. I also like that she said that fairy witchcraft is something that can be practiced in conjunction with something else. It's not just that she mixed it together. But it is something that a lot of people do. That it doesn't yes. have to be a practice in and of itself. And when you look at the end of the book, where she starts to talk about the holidays and all this stuff, yes. you can see some similarities to Wicca and other witchcraft practices. Um, I also like the fact that she says that fairy witchcraft is mostly a solitary path. And I think what I like about this is that, again, you still have people who say things like, you know, to be a witch, um, you need to be part of a group. Um, that's how you learn, that's how you advance in Wicca uh, and other forms of witchcraft. And here we have somebody who, and it's true, you know, it's a very personal relationship you have with the Fae. So the idea of being in a coven, you could, but that's not going to help your relationship with the other world. That's not how you're going to get anywhere in fairy witchcraft. So it really is something that is mostly done completely by yourself. Yeah, the introduction is fantastic. It really sets you up to understand a lot of the stuff that she goes into. And I I like that she ends it being like, so the last thing we need to do is figure out what a fairy is, and that's complicated. (laughs) And it it is very complicated, and she talks about it more as she, you know, goes deeper into the book, but she doesn't see fairies as elementals. And that I underlined because I also had never considered fairies to be elementals, and I didn't realize that that might be a view that people had held. So it kind of had to sit back and be like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a different take. That's a different expression. Why would somebody think that? I don't really. So I had to kind of wrap my head around about that idea. 
So in Irish culture, she says there are three types of witches. One is very secretive. It's like a divination witch. One is a fairy doctor. And I don't know what the other one does. I like, I really like, um, she specifically mentions that the fairy doctor is at least nominally Catholic. Um, mm. And I don't know why this was important to me. We're Okay, we're going to have a moment now. We're going to have okay. a moment about Gemini. And we can talk about one of the reasons why I like this book so much. Um, for anybody who has listened to us for any amount of time, I was raised Catholic. I am hypothetically Irish, or at least a little bit Irish, as a person. Um, and I was raised very much in the way that American Irish people are raised, where they're very proud of being Irish. They're very, you know, I'm an, I'm Irish, I, I have the freckles, I have the hair. But they don't really have any connection to the actual practices from Ireland, the actual culture. It's a very American Irish thing to be like, I'm Irish, but I'm, I'm American first. Um, and so this one little sentence for me was kind of opening up a door to be like, there was always a way for you to be more than just like an, an Irish American Catholic girl. There was always this path, whether it was the one that I ended up taking, which was Hellenismos or this, that, was an option for you that was a traditional path. And li literally, I, I, I underlined the sentence and I, I circled nominally Catholic because there was like this, there's a period of time in my life where I was nominally Catholic. And this brought me into the rest of the book in a mindset of, I want to know about this because I want to know aspects of the culture that I could have had aspects of the practices that could have been mine if my family had been more in touch with their roots and like my I there are people related to me like not like distant relatives people related to me who live in Ireland it's not like I don't have family there that I couldn't go there but like I had no connection growing up there was no folk practice there was no talking about you know when when so-and-so's grandma lived in Ireland it was all about America and this sentence in this book and this book in general made me so much more interested in the culture that I was told was mine but was never introduced to. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why there's hard eyes all over my notebook. So, I mean, do you feel like this is something you want to incorporate into your practice? Yes. <laughs> okay, you were just staring at me and I wasn't sure if it was like, why did you say that? Or No, no, I just, the eyeball, it's just, I am, I am an old woman in my heart. And so I don't, like, I think about everything in terms of like, this is, this is how it is. This is what I do, you know? And it was, it, it was very eye-opening to read this book and be like, oh, all of the things that she's describing are in line with what I already practice. All of the the beliefs that she's listing are beliefs that I already hold. There is literally no reason not to just do this. 
And then I was thinking about like when my husband and I moved out of our last apartment, we would go for walks in this wooded area. And the last, the last time we went for a walk, second to last time, we went for a walk. We went into this little, there's like a little pond and there was a hockey puck sitting on a rock. And I remember saying, this is a gift from the Fae. We cannot take this because you can't accept gifts. Right, I wasn't taking that into my house and then starting a relationship that I wasn't prepared for. But now having read the book, I'm like, maybe that was a sign. Maybe I'm supposed to now do something like that. Um, there, reading this book, there were so many times where I had to like put it down and then go be like, what does this mean for my practice? Do wow. I have to reevaluate what I'm doing? It, it, this book is a good book. This book, I think, was written for me. I think that Morgan Daimler sat down and was like, how can I write a book that Gemini is going to love that is also informative and hits all of the, the things that she needs in a book? Because she did it. The citations are impeccable. And citing things that are like the chapter one citation, the little quote that she does is J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Come on. She cites... Um, W.B. Yeats, like, repeatedly, and before we got on the episode, I was like, did you know that he wrote a book of poetry called The Tower? Because two of my favorite things in the world are The Tower and W.B. Yeats. So just everything about this book was purposefully created to mess with my head. Oh, my God. So I'm loving this because I'm seeing, like, a revelation is something like, I don't know. Yeah. Awakening. The birth of something. You know, I, I've said this before. Starting the podcast made me, and I think I'm always questioning my path, but it really made me look at it again. And the more we read, the more we discuss, um, which is something we don't do as a group. We don't try to, and I don't think that we're trying to like push each other to grow on the podcast, but we definitely don't do that. It's pretty much um, when we get together, it's about discussing things that we do, but never yeah. about, you know, have you read this? Has this ever changed you? That might be a conversation we could have next yes. time we meet up because that might be interesting to hear what people have to say. But I did write down a couple of things that made me think of you. One was when she talked about the gods. Gods are separate from humanity. Not all projections of the human mind are dependent are, are dependent on human beliefs. They have their own personalities and agenda. And I wrote Greek gods. I thought, wow. Yes. The other thing, she mentioned something else about the gods, and I can't think of where it is. And I have the notes here somewhere. And when I find it, I'll definitely, because I, I know. Oh, here we go. The liminal gods. We'll talk about that when we get there. But I was like, and I wrote yeah. Gemini, here we go. Like, that's she, what I wrote on that. Because I was like, she says I'm sure the she's going to be all over that. Liminal so many freaking times. And every time she writes it, I just get a little flutter in my little heart. Like, oh, I love liminal shit. Um, if you read the theology section, that is my theology. That is how I view the world. I read that and I think I underlined everything. I'm looking, I underlined the entire thing, right? I see them. I'm polytheistic and animistic. Everything has a spirit. I see each god as a separate god. They all have their own um, godness that is unique to them. They are separate from humanity. It, Perfect. Like, I couldn't have said this as succinctly as she says this. And then she goes on to talk about the good people and not calling them fairies and stuff. 
I love a good bullet point moment. Quickly summarizes what she's talking about, mentions that she's going to talk about it further. Love that. Keeps me interested, makes it easy to read. Mwah. Specifically mentions that they have a different understanding of morality and etiquette, which so much of Hellenismos is etiquette, is about like having good hospitality, being a good host, being grateful, etc., etc., so, like, boom, automatically, I'm like, all right, I would like to know more about the etiquette required for this practice. Um, moving into personal power. This one feels neo-pagan to me. This one is the one where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Because she's talking about you are the generator. And you need to have that, like, complete belief in yourself that you are achieving what you were setting out to achieve. And if you don't believe in it, it's not going to work. And yeah, I, I don't think that that is always aligned with how folk magic works. But I do think that it is a very common belief and practice. And I was like, yeah, this, uh, this makes sense. And then she talks about death and rebirth. Okay. Can we go back a little bit to the qualities? Yes. So one of the things that I really liked about this is... This is something else we don't see. So the positive qualities that you have to develop in other, in order to work with the other world yes. are these seven things. Hospitality, generosity, kindness, compassion, courage, politeness, and adventureness, right? Being an adventuresome yes. type of person. Now, you know, when we start talking about witchcraft and starting a practice, we never talk about these things, which I thought was really interesting that she brought it up here because it's like, Shouldn't we talk about the qualities you need to have in order to work with the elements, in order to work with spirit, in order to be able to get yourself into that point where you can cast a circle and be successful in spells? And we we just don't. So yes. the fact that she had that in here made me think about qualities that I thought were important to starting a practice. And I think the one thing that made me a little nervous is, okay, I like all of these, but then she's got courage and being adventuresome. I feel like too many witches start with, I've got the courage and I've got the adventureness and I'm going to go mm -hmm. in and I'm going to do this. And then it's like, help me. I just got myself into all this trouble. So I'm not saying that she's wrong and people should have all these things. I just, I almost wish that she had said, not that this should be in order, but, you know, courage is good, but well, mindfulness is maybe more important in the beginning before you just head into something. If we take the order that she wrote them in to be the order that she wants us to have them, then it's good. I, yeah. I agree completely because hospitality is first. And, and I circled that 700 times. It is actually yeah. difficult to read the sentence now because of how many times I circled hospitality. Because I, so first of all, this is just like a personal thing. And like, I've had a lot of conversations with my husband about it. I care a lot. I care a lot about household etiquette being a good host being able to like if somebody comes into your home do you need a water bottle do you need to go to the bathroom do you need a snack if you're having people over making dinner like these are just things that personally i care a lot about i like to cook i like to host that's a thing but i like that hospitality is the first thing that a witch should be able to do because a lot of times you're going to work with a spirit or an energy right whether you're going in saying you know i'm going to do you know fairy work specifically or you're just going in like kind of feeling it out you want 
whatever space you're in to be a comfortable place for that spirit or energy to reside. And so coming into witchcraft with your focus being hospitality, I think is the right first step because it's not, it's not so self-centered. It's not so self-absorbed. It's about that connection with the earth and the vibes and whatever you want to call it. It's about being open and a good host to the magic that you are working with. And to go then from there, hospitality, okay, generosity, being giving, okay, kindness, okay, compassion. That being those first four things, I think, ingenious and so simple to just be like, here's my list. Boom. Like, yes, yes, there is your list. And that is the list that I think you should follow. I think adventuresomeness comes last. Right. After you've got all the rest of that stuff organized, then you can be like, I'm going on a, on a journey to the other world. Right. I'm going to drive to another state to go to a new, you know, magic class. Like adventuresomeness comes last. Steps one through six, then adventuresomeness. Okay. That's I just <laughs> I care a lot about hospitality. I can tell. It's making me very nervous about having you ever come over back to my house because I don't care. Like, I care, but I'm just, like, not that, you know. I am aware that I am a lunatic. This is not, it doesn't transcend okay. houses. It's my house. If you walk into my house, I care. Okay. And right. that's true. I've been to your house. Now, before, does before that mean I'm going to yeah. dust? Probably not. So you don't care that much. I care about you as the guest, <laughs> right? So like the house yeah. might not be perfect. It'll be right. lived in. But right. you as the guest will be comfortable and taken care of. You as the guest will feel safe and secure in my home. Yeah. And like that aligns very much with the Greek virtues. Hospitality was equally important. Right. You know, if you gave someone bread in a Greek culture, you then could not betray them. It was a huge betrayal when Paris came to Sparta and partook of their bread and then straight up stole Helen. Right. So it the qualities that she says are important align so strongly with the qualities that I personally value, which is another point in the book where I was like, oh shit, I think I'm I think I'm gonna be a fairy witch. <laughs> I think it's happening. And you guys heard it here first. Yeah. You did. God. Right. <laughs> I'll save my thoughts for later on that. Oh, okay. Um, I liked the bit about the fetch. I thought that was okay. very interesting. I wanted to talk about the fetch because, well, first of all, what is the fetch? So it's a spirit double. It's your double. Um, well, the, the, the double of the witch. Um, so... It can kind of like go into the underworld. That's the part of you that is like mm -hmm. dealing with all these things. And I think that in a way, I don't know about everybody, but like that totally resonated with me. Because mm -hmm. when I am in the middle of a ceremony, when I am in the middle of something and I'm doing something and I'm meditating, it's another part of me. It's the other part of me. It's not the part of me that is online shopping or talking to, you know, my friends or doing whatever. This is another part. And you do have conversations with your other self. Yeah. And you and you do try to, you know, you, it is a separate 
part that it's the same time not separate. So that really made a lot of sense to me. And I wonder how other witches feel about that. If they've ever felt that feeling of a fetch, yes. whether you called it that, you even knew that was a thing, but the idea that there is another person, another part of you. You ever felt it's that page. way? Oh. Well, here we yeah. go. Yes. Right. No, I'm just, this podcast is just about how Gemini is crazy, which like is a given. <laughs> um, yeah, I have always spoken to myself as if there were more of me. And I need to, I stress very strongly, it's not like a dissociation thing. It's not like a mental illness. I'm just weird. Um but like I used to, I would like write notes to myself where I'd be like, dear me, and then like tell myself stuff um, to the point where like I had a teacher, not my teacher, a teacher, find a notebook where I had written something like that in it and he had given it to a friend of mine to give back to me and he was like, is she okay? Does she need to see somebody? <laughs> but for me, the fetch is so interesting because that idea of the two sides of myself is so prominent in my life that it's almost like, oh, is this like genetic memory? <laughs> is this like, is it just that I'm a Gemini and there's two sides of a Gemini or is this like a little bit deeper? So it was really interesting. And I, I liked that also she mentions like there's a little bit of blurring between your soul and the fairy. And so you might experience the fetch differently it might not be distinct it might be more connected but it's a really interesting concept and it's on page 17 um for those of you who are reading along i definitely want to know if anybody has experiences with a fetch mm. um your take on it like it, it's a very cool concept that i i never would have conceptualized but having read about it i'm like oh yeah absolutely then she goes on to talk about fate which I liked as well. You're like having another breakdown. So she's it. got three different types of fate, right? The universal fixed principles that influence everybody, the fate yes. that we create, right? And our destiny. Yes. And it's, it's really kind of interesting because I, when I read this, I thought of when we do divination, right? When you read from somebody, you explain, right? Here is, um, you know, what's happening. This is kind of like the universal fixed fixed principles that we all kind of yes. follow. This is how we're seeing your choices right now affecting it, but you can change it. But then yes. there's that other part, the part that is your destiny, the part that um, she says also comes together with your gifts and your abilities. So you can't really yes. escape that part um, because it's intrinsically part of you, but we have so many choices in our lives to change anything that could possibly happen. And I think that's something yes. that, you know, I find myself always telling people when they get upset with something that I say is in the cards, I'm like, yeah, but you still have the ability to change this. This is not fixed, right? There are some things you can't change. If you have a job that you're not going to quit, right? Then that's a fixed thing. What happens at your job, you can influence. Yes. You know, just to put it like in a mundane sense. So um, and that's something that I hadn't really seen explained this way in other texts, yeah. which I think is also really good. And I think, you know, again, puts the onus back on us and gives us back the responsibility to act a certain way without saying, well, I couldn't help it. Right. It was in the cards. It was destined to be like, yes, yes and no. You know, you have to take responsibility. 
I personally live in the gray spaces, which is why I like I'm obsessed with liminal stuff. Um, and I think that this was a really great like gray explanation of fate because it's not a hundred percent everything's faded and you can't escape it and you know you're stuck with that, which I think sometimes Hellenismus can kind of lean into, especially with like stories of Oedipus and Antigone. But it's also not 100% like you can control everything and, and the world is up to you and you decide your own fate. And so it was, it's really nice to read one, a well-contained historical explanation of like what these words meant, but also in a neo-pagan space to have somebody take a middle ground and be like, yeah, there are fixed things, but there are also things you can change. Because I think that that's the way most people live their lives. And yeah. I don't. I don't like when you're kind of forced into a mindset of like one or the other. So this was really great for me to be like, oh yeah, no, we, we do have fixed, but also fluid options. I also loved that she explains karma in I think one of the best ways I've read in a neo-pagan book, because she really takes the time to kind of explain to you the how does she describe it the traditional eastern view of karma instead of like the kind of bastardized western view that we use right because like i know people who have said to me like oh is this bad karma like will this be bad karma and it's like that's not how karma works it's not like a tally list of shit you've done and then somebody like takes the list when you die and they're like oh well you know these four things were bad but these other 500 things were good so you're good it changes you by creating, like, the actions that you take create the you that you are. So it's not, you shouldn't ask someone, oh, is this bad karma? Is this not you? Are you not doing the thing that is aligned with your principles and aligned with your beliefs and that makes you feel like you're doing the things you're supposed to be? I get kind of pissy sometimes when I see people especially in like neo-pagan books explain karma in such a like simplified way. So mm. to take that moment was just really nice. I really liked it and I appreciated it very much. I saw somebody talking about and ye harm none. <laughs> right. And saying that this is just, you know, witches ways of kind of like having a boundaries and, you know, so you don't harm people. And we spent a whole podcast talking about what that really means. And, you know, it's the same thing, I guess what I'm thinking about is like connecting that to karma, this whole idea that everything comes back to you. But I think it's once again, just being aware of what you're doing and yeah. knowing who you are, like you just said, and, you know, making the choices that you're okay with, that you're comfortable making. Um, and I think that's something that we don't really, like fate, we don't really like to hear because then again, the responsibility is on us. And doesn't yes. that suck? Because now I, you know, the idea I brought this on myself. Well, yeah, if you did X, Y, and Z, this is what's going to happen to you. Not because of karma, but, but just because this is the trajectory that you are laying out for yourself. Like, you know, absolutely. if I decide to keep walking and I see a cliff and I don't turn around, I'm going to walk off the cliff. Like, that's just, you know, it's not karma. It's just, that's the direction I was headed in if I didn't turn around. Yeah. And that I think is such a great way to describe both the concept of fate that she describes in the book and this traditional view of karma. Yeah. It's the direction that you're walking in. Right. You can change directions at any yeah. time in your life, but you have to change the direction. And I think that's what people don't want. Look, 
we've both done it. We've both had readings from friends. Tell me about my boyfriend. You know what you need to do. Stop asking the cards. If you're asking the cards, the answer's already there. Dump him. Like, I I, I don't need to ask the cards anything about my husband. Right? The minute I have doubts about it, I should ask the cards. I should talk to him. Like, I, I just... You know what I mean? So, and I think that we just get caught up in this thing of not taking responsibility because that can get icky. And what if I make the wrong decision? And really there aren't any wrong decisions. There are opportunities to learn something. So I want to talk about directionality and movement, but I want to come back to it because I think on this topic of the direction that you're walking in, she talks about ethics in chapter one. And I really Mm -hmm. like that she talks about situational ethics because I think that that is really in line with what we were talking about you have to do what you believe in if you believe really strongly in like one particular camp of morality or ethics that's fine you know follow the categorical imperative if you're Kantian I get it but for most people that's not the life that we live and so you have to as the person with the power who is working with the, you have to make the decision. This is the right answer in this situation. And I think so often people are afraid of doing what is wrong ethically that they don't actually think about doing what is right. And then they get into a situation where they don't want to do the wrong thing. So they do another thing that is also kind of wrong that gets them <laughs> in trouble. And so, you know, yeah, does it, does it put the onus on us a lot to say ethics are situational and you have to make the choice? Yeah. But why do you want to live in a world where your decisions are not your decisions? Why do you want to die and go wherever you're going to go and have somebody be like, oh yeah, you were the wind. You just were a leaf on the wind and you were blown around and you did not make a single choice in your life. Why do you want that? I think also the idea of making a choice has been really twisted. It's it's been twisted. And I'm just thinking about the mundane world and I'm thinking about these anti-maskers, right? Oh, yeah. you're a sheep, right? Like I have mm-hmm. the freedom to like not... No, what you were saying is you are making the ethical decision to allow people to get ill. Yes. And, you know, and they hide behind this thing of, but I have freedom. That Say what you really mean. And I say this to students all the time when they're trying to get around. No, say what you mean. Say, yes. I don't care about other people. Say it. Just say, I don't care about others. I don't care if you get sick. Um, I am so deluded in myself that I don't think I'll get sick. So I'm not going to wear a mask. If you say that, you know what? I may not like you, but at least I'll respect the fact that you told me exactly what you felt instead of hiding behind, I have free will. Because then people who try to make ethically good decisions are seen as sheep by other people and that's in the magical communities in the mundane community you know so um i like that it's giving us the power now to understand you know this book is what i'm talking about giving us the power to understand what a situational ethically it's knowing yourself you can't do any of these things if you don't have a clue as to who you are and we all have biases we accumulate them as time goes on say your bias say your bias you know what I mean? Like, and if it sounds wrong to you, then ask yourself, where did it come from? You know, we're not taking responsibility for this. It's like, this is how yeah. I grew up. Okay. So you grew up that way. That's awesome. But now you're an adult. So, so I heard, 
this quote and I don't know where I heard it from, but mm. somebody said the first thing you think in a situation is how you were raised. The second thing you think is what you believe. And I think that people need to kind of internalize that a little bit more because the, we all have biases and those biases are intrinsic and inherent and they've been taught to us. And so they're kind of like those snap decisions. So if the first thing you think is a biased thing, but then you take a minute and go, no, actually unbiased thought. That's you taking control and making those ethically right choices and, and deciding who you are as a person. If yeah. you at your first thought at that first biased thought, just go, yeah, I'm going with this. Then you are not taking control and you are not making choices as your own person. You're just a leaf in the wind being blown by those in inherent biases that you were taught. And mm. I agree with everything that you've said. Um, no one can see me, but I was doing my little finger snaps in the back because <laughs> I, I think that choice and ethics are intertwined the same way that fate is intertwined in a fixed and fluid state. Mm. That your ethics probably should be, especially once you're an adult, a fixed thing. You should know what you believe is good and what you believe is bad. But the choices that you can make can mold around that and even change what the ethics are down the road. Yeah, I was going to say maybe not so much fixed because, you know, you can believe you'd have ethics on something and learn and grow yes. and say, you know what, I think I was wrong in this. And I think I'm going to proceed this other way now. So, but I, I like, yes and no. Like, yes, they should be fixed enough that you're not some wishy-washy, like you said, blowing in the wind. But, you know, open enough to saying, all right, maybe yeah. this isn't working out. Maybe this is not right, you know. But at least you've made the conscious decision to change it. Yes. To say, these are my ethics going forward. These were my ethics. I think that um, we also live in a society where we're so afraid to be judged. You know, yes. so this whole idea that, okay, I, I opened my mouth and I said this. Now I have to die with this. Because if I change and I say, you know what, based on this experience, I want to change to this. Oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Oh, flip flopper. Oh, you don't. Um, as humans... If we stop growing, then what is the point of being alive? I think you should be able to switch, but you should be able to consciously say it and really not care what society thinks, but society is going to judge you for it because you felt one way, now you feel another. This is a problem I have in my classroom all the time because my students don't see me as a person who can change and grow. Yes. So I, I, this is, a, I literally happened like before we went on break. I had a kid come back to my class. He had been in my class last year. He transferred and then he transferred back. And I had made a comment about how I was going to marry my husband, who is not, we're not officially married. It's complicated, but I, I, we're going to get married. And he looked at me and he goes, Miss, you said you're never getting married. And I was like, yeah, I, that was like a joke. Because I call him my husband. Like that was, I was joking. And he's like, well, you said you're never getting married. Why are you getting married now? And he was very upset about this. And I had to take a step back and realize it's because he had this idea of his teacher, Miss Gemini, in his head. And now me saying something different was forcing him to come to terms with that. And he didn't like it. And he was very kind of mean about it. And I had to then be like, okay, this is a him problem. 
right? Him judging me for changing the way that I spoke about my relationship is not a me problem. I don't have to internalize that. That's not my business. He needs to deal with the fact that I have changed in his view, air quotes, since the last time he saw me. And I think that's something that we need to do. If you believe 110% in the thing that you believe in, you shouldn't be getting upset when people are telling you you're wrong. If you're getting upset that people are telling you you're wrong, maybe you don't believe in that thing as much as you think you do. I hear you. I think with students, though, you know, we are a fixed thing. We are, um, they can count on us, right? The bell rings, they walk into our room, and they expect us there. When there's a sub, they get all kinds of freaked and you mm. get emails, or oh, where are you? Are you okay? You know, and it's like, I'll be back tomorrow. I think I yes. told you guys I was going to a conference or something like that. Um, you know, so the idea that you would change your mind, I think I get away with changing my mind is because it's the nature of my subject. Yes. Right? I tell them, this is what I think in the fellow, change my mind, argue, argue another position. Yeah. Right. And if they, they argue it well, I go, you've changed my mind. You're good. That's good. Like they know their whole point is to argue, you know, to effectively communicate yes. with, you know, through writing, through dialogue. So, but I think when it comes to science, right, it's yeah, supposed to be thing. fixed. So if yes. the teacher wavers, then what the hell is going on in my universe? So I think that's actually yes. kind of cute that a, a student does that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't get that as much, but I think it's the nature of the subject. I think, Agreed. you know, English gets a pass because you're supposed to be challenging them to think for themselves. I'm yes. not saying every English teacher does that. And that's another subject. Do you know that but I have a student in my goal. class? Do you know that a student in my class who's never read Shakespeare? I teach seniors. Like Ever? Ever. Not even I said, Macbeth? I said, did you transfer from another school? No. I've been in the district my whole life. Explain this to me. That's okay, I told her. My job is to make you love Shakespeare, and I'm going to do it. I said, if you don't like it, we will stop. I will just stop. She was like, what? I was like, that's right. You're the Shakespeare meter. I'm going to make her love it. Do you know what's so funny? This is totally unrelated. <laughs> um One of the things that my husband and I have been doing in quarantine is reading Shakespeare. Um, So we've been reading through King Lear together. We like act it out and then we discuss it. And he, he literally said to me the other day, he was like, you know, I really miss, I really miss when education was like people learned like the English canon. I think it's so important to read Shakespeare. And I was just like, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I think teachers still do that. He's like, no, well, you know. And he's talking about his school growing up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about Scorpio. So maybe I should not judge every English teacher by Scorpio standards. You know, if he's ever home, give him my class code. When we start Shakespeare, oh I'll God, let you know. Yes. He could always just like log on. The kids will be like, who's that? Don't worry about it. I'm being observed. <laughs> that would be so funny. But um, something else I was going to say. Funny that you said um, reading Shakespeare. You mentioned Macbeth. So Cancer and I... Um, we meet up with another person. We have like girls night out and, um, on zoom. And one of the things they wanted to do was read Macbeth. I love it. (laughs) So of course they still have like these old books and I still have, it's actually like right here. It's behind me. Um, my little Macbeth book. Can you see it poking out? So, um, but what was so funny was that, and I don't know why we started, I probably, because it was about, you know, talking about witches in literature and, you know, of course I get on 
And I start making, I start doing all these voices. So who do you think gets stuck to reading like most of the characters? I'm like, this is BS. Like, I don't get it. And they're like, you're so good. And I was like, yeah, you guys suck. But yeah, we were reading Macbeth. So there you so, go. This is totally unrelated to the book, but I do think all of our listen, listen, listeners, all of listeners? our listeners should try that. <laughs> grab a Shakespeare, grab your partner, grab your friends, read some there Shakespeare. We're all in quarantine. Have a fun time. I can't do that because I refuse to read Shakespeare in Spanish. Well, just pick and a Spanish play. My husband play only right knows then. it. He only knows it in in uh, in Spanish, and I don't want to even go there because it annoys do you know me. What would be so funny if you read it in English and he read it in Spanish. <gasps> oh, because you'll understand each other, right? But you're also reading your preferred version. I just think translating Shakespeare is wrong. I think everybody needs to learn English to read it in English. No, I mean, the stories are good, but I guess as an English teacher, and I want to talk about the language, Yes. it's, what are you doing? I mean, to be fair, I've never read it in Spanish. Maybe they try to match that, up. I don't know. That was the traditional aristocratic, like, education. You learned English to read the English canon. You learned French to read the French canon. Like, sure. that is how traditionally people, rich people, were yeah. educated. So I get it. I don't know if I really want to do that with my husband because we argue about grammar all the time. This is what we do. This is what our arguments are about. You guys are, are so cute. It's really annoying. And it's usually, I'm trying to think of how many arguments we've had about English grammar. It's mostly Spanish. And it's not that we argue because we think one person is right, but it's just like, I like sometimes I question where some mm-hmm. of this, these rules came from. And he's like, well, you're this is just wrong because the reason that they do this, I don't know. I don't know why we get into these conversations. So the idea of now arguing about Shakespeare is just like, no. I don't know if I want to do that, but I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Anyway, back to this. So. Directionality and movement? I guess. I was looking at to know, to will, to dare, to be silent. And I can't remember what that was about. So I have to look in the book because that's all I wrote down. I feel like that's the end. It's the end. It's page 26. No, No, not the end of the book. The end of the chapter. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Loved that. Um. So basically to know is to know the old ways. To will is to connect to your personal power. To dare is to take risks and to be silent, know when not to speak. Why don't we have this everywhere? I feel like every tradition needs to have that in there somewhere. Know when to shut up. Yes. And there's, there's nothing else for me to say, but like, I just want to say it. Like knowing when to not talk is so valuable and Listen, I have ADHD. I talk all the time. I have absolutely said shit that I shouldn't have said because I can't keep my damn mouth shut. But it's still something I work on. Like, at no point should you be able to look in the mirror and be like, no, I can't do that. I can't do to be silent. No, you can. It will take time. It will take practice. You will fuck up. But practice it. Because knowing when to shut up is one of the most important things you can learn as an adult human being, regardless of magic, regardless of anything. Knowing when something is sips tea, not your business, so important. And I also like that she has to know the old ways, because I feel like that's been such a controversy when it comes to witchcraft. The idea of, well, what are the old ways? Because, you know, they were just made up, these old ways. Um, I think everything changes. I don't want to say things were made up, I think that through time, especially when you're talking about an oral tradition, you know, you've ever played telephone, you know, things are going to get messed up by the time you get to the last person. But 
I think we have enough resources now, and I'm not talking about witchcraft books. You have enough resources to delve into a culture's mythology, to delve yes. into their history, to delve into their folklore, and take from it the gems that you see, right? You also have yes. the ability to talk to people in your family, right? To find out yes. people from your line and to ask questions. When we say the old ways, it doesn't have to be from 500 BC. Are we going to get any accurate account of what a witchcraft was like back then? No. We're never going to get that. So figure out what the old ways mean to you and, you know, yes. work with that. And I think there's a value in seeing what other people have done. Even if it doesn't work for you and you wind up changing it, there might be a couple of things, again, gems, you know, that you might be able to pull out from there. And I think that's going to make your practice stronger. So I like that she did that. Oh, so, the other thing, I want to talk yes. about deities that I really, okay, so this blew my mind because this is something I definitely do. All deities deserve equal respect. Yes. And, you know, I always feel this way. Like, whenever I enter a church, okay, because churches give me the heebie-jeebies. They always have, right? Uh, the joke in my family was that I was Damien, the omen child, because I never felt comfortable inside of a church. That's cute. Okay. But, you know, the first thing I do if I go somewhere, I want to see the old mosques and the old churches and whatnot. And... Interestingly enough, when I enter an old mosque, I feel really at peace. Mm -hmm. I love mosques. Um, and there's one really big traditional one that has been, it's historic, in the southern part of Spain that has been turned into several little chapels from different traditions. Mm -hmm. I still feel really at peace as long as I don't go near the objects of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm just walking through the mosque and looking at it, it's like I, I just think... Um, I don't know. I have this. I find a lot of beauty in Islam, to be honest with you. Why, why are you nodding your head, but you're looking at me like... Because I, you say things, and then sometimes I think of things, and then I'm surprised by the things that I think of. Oh. So, so I have been to a bunch of weddings in the last couple of years, and one wedding in particular, it was I think it's the only wedding that I wasn't a bridesmaid in, I remember sitting in the church and having to like focus very hard on my own gods because there was this like very heavy weight mm. of the christian god just being there being like hey bud hey 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 do you remember me hey hey welcome to church hey and i had to be like like deep breaths focusing grounding and centering and i like listen we all know that i'm not like anti-christianity on i'm I'm like a weird middle stance on the whole thing, but I do agree with you that there is like this very overwhelming presence when you are in the presence of, um, you know, Christian iconography. And for me, especially Catholic, like Catholic stuff messes me up because I already have that connection that I was raised with. Um, so it can be hard Like giving deities respect is not, always about worshiping them and sometimes it's not even about acknowledging them like for me to respect the christian god i have to not acknowledge him because the minute i acknowledge that presence there then is you know the that fight or flight response within me where i'm like i don't want to we're not friends <laughs> i don't talk to you you can't sit with us um and so to give him the respect that as a as a god he deserves, I have to not acknowledge that and not participate in that. 
See, and I'm the opposite. The first thing I do when I enter a church is I just say, hi, I'm here. And I come with nothing but respect for you. Um, I'm here to, to see the beauty of your church. And, you know, um, I went into a church that it was one of my husband's friends, the place where he worships. And it's very old and he was very proud of it. So he wanted us to see it. And they said, you know, it's okay to take pictures. And I said, to me, it's disrespectful. Mm -hmm. It's a place of worship. And I wouldn't want somebody coming to me casting a circle saying, oh, my God, let me look at that. Let me take a picture. I get that's yeah. not where they were coming from. But to me, that's how I showed respect. I said, no, you know what? I said, I think this is very beautiful. And I want to just take this in. And I meant it. I said, I want to take this in. Yeah. And in my head, though, the whole time I'm saying I have complete respect. This is not a museum. This is not, not that you take pictures in a museum. But you know what I mean? I said, this is not a tourist attraction. I'm not going to come take pictures in the house of worship. So yeah. I always acknowledge whatever... Um, and I guess I feel that way because I don't feel particularly welcome. Like you said, that heaviness. Yeah. And yet I've been into several uh, mosques for different reasons, some functioning, some functioning as churches. And I always felt welcomed in a mosque. Yeah. I always felt very comfortable in a mosque. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I've never been in a synagogue. So I don't know if I would feel comfortable. I don't think I have, no. Although I have been in an Eastern Orthodox um, Greek church. And I would like to visit an Eastern Orthodox beautiful. church. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, it was just, I was I was blown away. Absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah. I'm trying to think. All right. So, yeah. So, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, witches do have the choice to acknowledge the gods or not. But yeah. I like that it's a possibility that you can say, hey, hello, respect to you. Yes. You know, because they're all equal and they really are, you know, it's just somebody else's interpretation of what's happening. So, yeah. So do you want to get into the liminal gods? Yes. Yes, I do. Of course I do. Every time <laughs> you say the all word right. limit, like it's like, um, it's like Bloody Mary in the mirror, except you say liminal three times and I show up like really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to make a TikTok out of that. Uh, yes, we do. Because that's hysterical. Also, we should we should probably just do a whole podcast on liminal spaces and and liminal the concept of liminality. That sounds good. Point. Too. Yeah, I'm gonna write. And that then we down. can we can even talk about uh, Charmed in that one. Yes. Remember that episode? Charmed. No, but I will watch it again. Okay, I have to think of which what the name of the episode was, but it's all about like little. I think they were fairies. I think it was the Fae. And they were all in liminal spaces. They had to be careful of liminal spaces. I love it. Because that's where they gotcha or something like that. Yes. I don't know. You know, they twist everything around. But what I think is interesting, she says that they don't have any kind of mythology. They're primal and they're wild, the liminal gods. And yes. it can only be understood by experiencing them. Yes. So you can't open up a textbook and say, let me learn all about the liminal gods. You have to actually experience them. I love the whole idea of it, first of all, because I think that acknowledging the concept of liminal gods allows you almost to go back in time to when the world was actually filled with like awe and wonder and there were things that people didn't understand like it it just feels so like nostalgic for a time that I've never experienced mm -hmm. but also I think that the idea of liminal gods also validates the fact that the world is incredibly dangerous just to be alive in. And 
there are gods out there that no one has ever experienced and maybe, you know, one or two people have experienced and they're just kind of sitting in wait, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. The the idea of liminality, I just think opens, this is, oh my God, this, it's Pisces season and it just feels Pisces season to say this shit, like just opens your mind to the opportunities of the world. Ugh. Like, it's true what I'm saying, but I wish I could say it in a much more concrete way. So supposedly to reach out to them, you simply reach, you just reach out. Yeah. Like, there's nothing else you can do is just start reaching out. That part I found, you know, that's where the courage, you got to be a little bit careful there. Because um, I don't think it's the first thing you should do. Not that she says that it is, but I'm just saying. Definitely not your first god like you should know yeah. how to work with deity before you decide to work with a deity that has no like recorded practices that just feels real dangerous to me yeah yeah it just is cool you should read this section if you feel like maybe there's been something out there calling to you and you're like oh well no it can't be maybe it could be maybe it could be Maybe there's a little yeah. god out there. And you know what? She's got a lot in here as far as the symbolism. You're going to find that a lot of the things that she writes about, like tools and ritual space, if you're into, if you're already a witch, you know these things. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's a different spin, right? And there are a couple of things that are brand new, even when it comes to the symbols that are used. And then she talks about, you know, the year, the holidays and prayers, um, the same, but with a little, you know, spin on it. Um, so I feel like if you're a witch and you're following a lot of these things and, and you're into, um, herbalism or whatever it is that your specific niche is, you don't have to change who you are. You know, yeah. this book, she says it, and then she gives you examples of how to do it. It's a way of incorporating, if you want, the experiences of the Fae, working with the Fae within your practice. And especially if you are, you know... Wiccan, these are things that definitely very much um, already things that you're doing. Yeah. I like that in every chapter she includes like a modern experience at the end. Mm. I think that that is really grounding and it really helps you to understand. Like she's giving you all of this information, but she's also giving you context. You know, this is this is how it's worked for me or this is a, a situation where it's been important for me. Um, I think chapter four, the other crowd and the ancestors, hmm. if, if you are Hellenic, that chapter is going to hit like that chapter is going to be something where you're like, I understand this. I do this. This feels comfortable to me. She talks about the wild hunt, which I think everyone is interested in learning about if you're interested in the Fae. And I think she does a really good job of explaining like, Hey, it's really cool, but also maybe don't mess around. <laughs> um, I think it's really, that chapter as well was really funny because there's two video games that I'm playing right now that are both based on these types of mythologies and reading the more like historical take that Daimler gives, gives me more context into the video game, which I was like not expecting. It was like a weird overlap. I'm playing uh, Kingdoms of Amalur and The Witcher 3, both of which are heavily based on folklore. The Witcher is Polish, which is like Germanic. 
And Kingdom of Amalur is like straight up Celtic mythology, like Tuatha de Danann. Um, I always play a Doc Alfar, which is basically the Drock Alfar, which she describes in the book. So that's just some mundane stuff if you're interested in it. Um, but yeah, the book is fantastic. I think it's really well written. I think it's fantastically cited. I think the references that she makes are like exactly what I want. Terry Pratchett, J.R.R. Tolkien, like just mwah, delicious. I think it's a great book for people who are interested in learning more, whether you want to incorporate it into your life or not. I will tell you that my first wedding was um, part fairy, heavily fairy. So it was a very pretty ceremony. Yeah, it's... Read the book. Yeah, we read, recommend Read the it. book. <laughs> and tell me if you, having read the book, are now going through an existential crisis where you have to become a fairy witch. Because okay, so, so I'm going to tell you what I think. Yes, tell so me what a, you there's, think. There's a thing with me, okay? Um, sometimes when I am interested in something, I'm, I'm not saying like I'm interested in, you know, buying a pink lipstick. I'm talking about something serious. Like I'm interested in learning a new divination system. Yes. Or I'm interested in practicing something. I have two feelings about it one feels like a heavy door and one mm -hmm. feels like a cool breeze the cool breeze tells me go for it the heavy door tells me there's something going on now do I sometimes push against this heavy door and like fit fit my way in yeah sometimes I do that more often than not I don't right and when it comes to my path and my traditions when I add something or when I incorporate something I do try to trust that feeling. Does it feel yeah. like a cool breeze or does it feel like a heavy door? Maybe I shouldn't go that route. And when it came to, let's say, um, my gods or my tradition, I work, I've worked with other gods, but they felt like heavy doors. They felt like mm -hmm. mm, I'm pushing up against a heavy door. And when you find the one that you can just walk through, you know. When you first started talking to me about Hellenismos, I felt like you were pushing a heavy door. But it's not up to me to tell you your spirituality. You're telling me. And I never understood why through all the years of knowing you, I keep feeling like she's pushing a heavy door. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? Like, First of all, why do I care what she's pushing or not pushing? But why do I feel that whenever you talk about Hellenismos? Then you tell me this about fairy craft and I feel like the door starting to open. And I never said that to you because, again, it's it's not up to me. You have to be happy. I don't care what you follow. I mean, unless you said to me, now I'm a born again Christian and then the podcast <laughs> podcast ends. But um, but you know what I'm saying? It just was very mm -hmm. weird because you are very knowledgeable about your religion. You have been practicing it for a long time. So it should not be a heavy door experience. I should not be feeling that about you and your religion. Um, but it was weird because I always had that feeling and I always kept it to myself. I never even told the other Scorpios or anybody. I never said anything. It was just like, oh yeah, you know, Gemini's Hellenic, Gemini's Hellenic. But part of me was always like, people can't see me I'm kind of making a weird face like you know like if somebody said oh you know is that pie you know it's cake but you go yeah it's pie and you kind of like shrug your shoulders like I guess if you want to call it pie it's pie but it looks like a cake to me but not that I thought that you were a fairy witch it's not like I had any clue about that but it was just yeah. something felt like it wasn't quite meshing but you were very you are very much into your practice so you know what do I know so this kind of surprises me and it kind of doesn't that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. It, 
it feels... I don't know how to explain it, but just over and over reading the book, I could feel it in my chest, you know? And hey, guys, like you are out there listening to us, maybe trying to figure out your own shit. And I have been a practicing witch of some kind for at least, how old am I? I'm going to, at least 15, 16 years, which first of all is ridiculous. That's absurd. <laughs> But second of all, you know, it's, that's, that's a long time to be doing this shit. And I'm still finding things where I'm like, you know what? We're going to just veer a little bit. We were on this path. We're going to just veer to the left um, or veer to the right. So growth happens constantly. And mm-hmm. do you have to change what you're doing? Absolutely not. You shouldn't feel pressured in any way. But if it feels right check it out, right? Like, see how it works with your life. Give it a chance. Because especially in a neo-pagan community, religion and spirituality is about you. Right? That we're not in, um, we're not in these big churches where it's about, you know, the community and, and it's about all of these different things. It's you. It's Nine times out of ten, your solitary practice. So do what you got to do for your practice to be the right thing. And um, keep a lookout for me talking about fairy witchcraft now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing that I am going to do now. You know, um, this is why I I really have a hard time with labels. Because, you know, if you say you're something, then... You have to stick to that label. People expect you. And going back to that kid, right? You're yes. a science teacher. How dare you have another way of expressing something in your life? Not even about science. You're talking about your personal life, but still you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be changing, growing, whatever. Yep. Um, you know, and I said it in a previous podcast that I started out saying I was an eclectic Wiccan, but I say I'm an eclectic witch because the more I've let my culture, because for so long it was like taboo. You don't yeah. put these things together. And finally, like you said, it's my practice. Why do I have to stop doing this? In other words, when it's the full moon, and I say I am going to now, um, you know, begin my preparations for the worship of the full moon and Atabe, why can it not be Atabe? Why, why can, it, can it be my indigenous, you yeah. know, earth mother that is, you know, everything like I don't understand why we can't do that. Well, then you're not Wiccan. Okay, so then I'm not Wiccan. Like, you know, it's, it's, I don't think that's where we're going to get the answers to anything. You know, wherever our ancestors came from, whatever they believed is in the past. And we can try to recreate as much as we can. And we can try to learn. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try to learn older ways. But one, we don't know what all the older ways were. Two, we're living now. And a lot of the things that we're dealing with now, our ancestors didn't. And I don't have my whole life where I can just say to you, okay, Gemini, I'm not going to work. I am going to devote myself 24-7 to just my practice and figure, no, we have a million things we have to do. Or guess what? We're not going to survive. I can't go outside and, you know, well, first of all, I wouldn't do it anyway. You know, I was going to (laughs) say, you know, kill a deer and eat it. Like, no. Yeah. But, you know, that's not how life works now. Like, it's just, it isn't. So, um... 
So there you go. So I think that anything, any teacher that comes along your way that you resonate with, people can say, um, this is the best teacher for X. Yeah, for that person. What resonates with you? Yeah. And if now what resonated with you 15 years ago no longer resonates, sit with it. And you don't have to throw this expression, the baby out with the bathwater. You yes. can, you know, you don't have to stop and say, okay, that's it. I'm not Hellenic anymore. No. What What is it about Hellenismos that you fell in love with? What is it about fairy witchcraft? Again, even the author says it. This can be practiced with other things. Yeah. So you don't have to be exclusively one thing or the other, even to be traditionally fairy witch. You don't have to do that. So I say good for you. Let's hear more about fairies. Yeah. I feel like you. we need to have a fairy moment every podcast now. We'll say, Gemini, do we have a fairy moment for today? And you could say, why, yes, I discovered that. <laughs> Next season, we'll start that because I'm going to need okay. some time to like build up some fairy moments. Because I like... I, I don't read the books. I'm not responsible, guys. I read the books like the day or the two days before we record. So this is, I'm having this moment live, right? This is not like, I'm. it's not like Scorpio, I have discussed this previously and I'm just like yeah. mentioning it on the pot. No, th- we're doing it live. So I don't, I don't know what this means. I don't know how I'm in, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that this is now something that is coming into my practice. I will absolutely update you guys as soon as I figure it out. Um, hey, what if we have like Fae Fridays? You know how we have sit and spell Sundays? That's so cute. You can have Fae Fridays. And you just like, it doesn't have to be every Friday. Just when you have something, you just like tell people on Instagram, like this is Fae Friday. And today, I've, you know, whatever. I, I think that'd be awesome. We will determine a day and a name and I will update you all with Sounds that. Good. As soon as possible. Yay. This is a long podcast. It is. We should probably let everybody go now and enjoy their yeah. lives. Yeah. <laughs> well, that might be good. We, we are an enjoyable part of their lives, I hope. Well, that's true. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That's true. I hope you guys enjoy listening to us because we enjoy talking to you. And we enjoy answering all your messages, all the questions that you have, or if you just want to talk to us. Yes. I'm getting better uh, of getting on there. I've noticed that I was a little lax, but I'm trying to get better of getting in there and answering people because I do love an- answering people. So keep an eye out on our Instagram. We will update you with the next book. So if you want to read along with us, you can. Of course, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to the Instagram or email us. We love hearing from you. We love talking to you guys. We love knowing what your takes on our books and our topics are. Thank you to Sean McShane for your amazing intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us.